Welcome to episode three of English for Life in the UK. Hello, my name's Mark. English for Life in the UK is a podcast for intermediate level learners of English. It's produced by a group of volunteer teachers from the St Augustine Centre in Halifax, Yorkshire. It's intended mainly for students attending our course at the centre. However, we hope it will also be of use to anyone wanting to improve their English and learn more about life in this country. Some of you may also be wanting to become British citizens at some stage. If that is the case, you will need to pass a citizenship test. And our course does cover some of the topics you will need to know about for that test. We're currently studying some aspects of British history and in this episode we will be focusing on the history of the British Empire. I'm joined for this episode by John and Christine. So today's session we looked at the British Empire and we started off, uh, Mark, with you uh, talking about the Age of Exploration. Could yeah. you, would you like to say something about... Yes, that was the that period thing. of around the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries when uh, certain European powers, in particular England, France, Spain and Portugal... Uh, they went out to explore the rest of the world. And uh, England was probably the last of those to start to establish colonies, settlements in those other countries. And for England, our first major settlement was in America. Hmm. Um, and there were 13 colonies established in America. Um, and of course, eventually... Uh, they had enough of English rule um, and we got the American War of Independence and those 13 colonies became the first 13 states of what became the United States of America. Hmm. And so what a period would you say that was, the Age of Exploration, the American War of Independence? What, what dates? Well, the, um, the uh, exploration really began in the kind of Tudor period of English history, so in the 1550s, let's say, that kind of period when we had Queen Elizabeth I on the throne. But the, uh, the American colonies were established the following century, and the War of Independence and the establishment of the uh, uh, the start of the United States of America was 1776. Right. Thank you. And so, really, what's often thought of as a British Empire is really the second stage of the British Empire. And you told us quite a bit about that, John. Yeah, we, uh, as, as Mark says, he covered... Uh, the 13 colonies and what's kind of referred to as the, the first British Empire and we went on to look at um, as you say what, what most people identify with uh, being the British Empire really the second period of empire uh, from that period up to the mid 20th century um, so we discussed the East India Company uh, and we explained 
that the roots of British Empire in India um, started with the East India Company, which was actually a private company. And we explained how this was different to the previous empires, the Portuguese and Spanish empires, where the governments had gone out and conquered these places. Um, and we explained that it was the East India Company, a private company based in London, that began as a trading company uh, in the coastal regions of India and gradually became more and more powerful until eventually it had its own army, a private army effectively of a quarter of a million men, many of them drawn from the Indian population, uh, and they effectively took charge of most of what is modern day India and ruled it uh, as a private concern until 1857 uh, when the Indian Rebellion, the uprising, saw the British Crown assume direct control of India uh, and from then on it was, as we said, the, known as the jewel in the crown of the British Empire because it was the richest and most important part of the British Empire. So, as well as what was happening in India and the British East India Company, what, what about the rest of the Empire? Well, Mark explained and we pointed this out with the use of the map, um, obviously we looked at some of the statistics. So at its peak in 1913, the British Empire was the largest empire that had ever existed. Uh, it covered around 25% of the world's land service uh, and oversaw around 412 million inhabitants or approximately 23% of the world's population at its peak. Um, one of the things that we examined with the use of the map uh, and we compared it to other empires in history, so the Mongol Empire, Persian Empire, Roman Empire. Um, the British Empire is very obviously completely spread out across the world, so it wasn't contiguous like some of the other empires. This is because we basically achieved this empire through exploration and naval power. So if you look on the map, it's not just India, it's not just North America, it's right across Africa, the Caribbean, uh, and Australasia and Southeast mm. Asia. Um, part of this was um, related to our previous settlements in North America. So we uh, taken over and colonised a lot of places in the Caribbean, um, a lot of places in West Africa and East Africa. Um, part of this was tied up with the slave trade. Obviously we discussed that. So taking at one point uh, slaves from West Africa to their plantations in the Caribbean and the American states. Um, One of the very obvious negative sides of the absolutely, empire. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, also, on, in, uh, we had a, a famous Yorkshireman, Captain Cook, who his uh, explorations and travels through the Pacific and the South Seas in the wake of the Dutch explorers uh, meant that the British uh, Navy set up bases in Australia and New Zealand, set up contact with the people there and eventually colonised Australia, New Guinea, New Zealand and Fiji. Uh, and latterly, towards the end of the 19th century, into the early 20th century, there was a lot of colonial expansion in Southern and East Africa. Um, some of that down to taking colonies from other European powers, such as Germany or France, for example. Mm. Yeah. There is that phrase, isn't there, that uh, it was an empire on which the sun never set. Yeah. What, what do we mean by that, it's, uh, John? It's, um, it's, Basically, uh, an exploration of the, of the of the worldwide stretch of the British Empire. So, if it's nighttime in Canada, it's daytime in India. 
uh, if it's daytime in London, it's you know it's nighttime in New Zealand. Yeah. So the idea that you know, at any given point, the sun would always be shining on a, on the part of the British Empire. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing to think about, really, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, if we're thinking about the legacy of empire, what's left over, if you like, from the empire. I mean, I think we should say there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of people who are now settled in Britain who have come from various parts of the empire, and our country is very much a multicultural country these days, and a lot of that is down to empire and many of the really positive uh, enriching of uh, British culture as it is today has come from people who have come from all parts of the empire uh, to the United Kingdom and also people who've gone from the United Kingdom out and into the, into the empire as well. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. We, we did discuss the, um, if you like, different um, attitudes towards um, looking at the history of the British Empire. There are, um, you know, we discussed this in the class, there are people who um, would put forward the idea of empire as being a good thing, that it was a, a civilising mission, that it brought democracy and rule of law, um, things like that, to, and, and, you know, enriched them culturally. There are other people who are very critical of empire, um, in that, you know, that it were one of the interesting things I came across, a new addition to the English language, uh, the word loot is a Hindi word. Which came into the English language when <laughs> uh, Clive of India and the British Indi- East India Company were taking out the wealth of India and bringing it back to London. Um, so there are conflicting ideas about the, you know, the the goods and the good and bad things that the empire did. But I think one of the important things when we're talking about migration is that many people in places like Jamaica, Hong Kong, you know, they felt themselves to be. British subjects and they felt um, a closeness to what they referred to as the mother country and this is something that we still see in many parts of the Commonwealth. People have an identity with Britain and a fondness for Britain uh, and obviously that is reflected in in the many people who have come from the Commonwealth countries to to make new lives and and, and new new Mm. homes in the United Kingdom. And I think it's also important to say that because there are undoubtedly some negative sides to what the British Empire did when they went out into the rest of the world, I think um, Britain, I would argue, Britain has a responsibility to make sure that actually we are looking after and welcoming people who are coming from uh, those other parts of the, of the empire, of many of which, of course, are actually our students now. Hmm. As, as we've, we've, we've covered in... The lessons that we've done on World War One, you know, we've been supported and aided in our time of need by people from right across the British Empire uh, through both world wars. Uh, and I think to keep it topical, just as a final point, much of the political discussions around Brexit, about the UK moving away from our close relationship with the European Union, many people are putting forward the idea that we should perhaps look to exp- re-exploring trade links and uh, economic links with places like India, Malaysia, Singapore, things like that. So it is still a very, uh, um, a, a very topical subject. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, would you, what would we say? We talked a bit about the legacy of the British Empire, what, about how it is today. What, what's happened to it? Who would like to say something about that? You you told us a bit, John. Well, we yeah we discussed um, de- 
the areas of decolonialisation. So after the First and Second World Wars, um, the UK had been the global superpower. Um, after the two world wars, um, our power receded. Obviously, we saw the United States and the Soviet Union coming forward as being the two global superpowers. Uh, and at this time, there was a, a move among the colonial states to fight for their independence. So, especially after World War Two, we saw India becoming independent, India and Pakistan becoming independent in 1947. Um, Palestine, as was a British mandate, went on to become Israel in 1948. And through the 1950s and the 1960s, the various British colonies across Asia and Africa, so places like Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, it took it in their turns then to find their independence and move out of the British Empire. Um, one of the main legacies that we discussed, um, which is important for when we're looking at migration and when we're looking at British citizenship, is the, the Commonwealth, which mm. is uh, an organisation of states that used to be part of the British Empire, which now form, a, a, if you like, a political alliance across the country, across the world. Mm. I noticed that some of the students were particularly surprised to find out that some countries still had Queen Elizabeth as their head of state. Yeah, um, I were telling um, one of our students from Eritrea uh, many years ago, I, I found myself in Fiji and we met a very confused American gentleman who just withdrawn his Fijian money and he was very surprised to find that they all had the Queen of England's face on the Fijian <laughs> banknotes. So we, we explained um, that Canada, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia um, still have this close relationship with the United Kingdom, which extends to them still having the, the British monarch, in this case Queen Elizabeth, as their head of state. Mm. Even although the governments of all those countries are completely independent, or largely independent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, the crown. We, so, is there anything of the empire left? Well, there are small parts. We we got to the uh, the end of the reading. We discussed places like, for example, the Falkland Islands. We think about places like Gibraltar. Um, there are still some uh, places like Saint Helena. Places like this. So there are still some places that are under direct British rule, scattered across the globe. Um, the last real outpost of the empire was Hong Kong, which gained its independence in 1997 uh, and obviously came under rule from China. Um, so these are a few of the things we discussed, the present situation in Hong Kong, in the Middle East and various other places where there are still, um, you know, issues of the British Empire are still being, still being ironed out today. Certainly, if any of our students are following what's going on in the news um, recently, then, of course, Hong Kong is featuring, featuring very strongly there, where people are, uh, in a sense, resisting the move from being part of uh, the, the British influence to becoming increasingly part of the Chinese. Uh, yeah. uh, hmm. You could almost say empire, couldn't you? You could. Yeah. Language support. This is the part of the podcast where I choose a few words or phrases and we talk about them in more detail. I'm going to start by choosing 
one that John used. He talked about decolonialization. You could also say decolonization. So to colonize is, we said, to take over, to settle in another country. So Britain went out and colonized various parts of the world. That was the beginnings of the empire. We settled people in those areas. In some cases we conquered the areas, in some cases we simply went there and settled. So decolonization is the opposite of that. It's when we withdrew from those areas or no longer controlled those areas. Usually that was because the people in those areas wished to be independent. They wished to control themselves and not be controlled by Britain. And in the period of the second half of the 20th century, this is what happened to most of the British Empire. It, the countries involved became independent, sometimes peacefully, sometimes by agreement with Britain, sometimes through struggle, sometimes through war. The interesting thing about the word is it is made up of D, D, E, in front of another word, and that makes the opposite of the word. And you can find that elsewhere in the English language. So, for example, you can talk about to de-stress. So if you get stressed, uh, you're anxious, you're worried, you might want to try to relax, to do some exercises, to de-stress so that you no longer are stressed. Uh, in these winter mornings at the moment, my car in the morning has got ice all over the windscreen, so I have to de-ice the car. I have to get rid of the ice from the car, de-ice. So if you put de in front of a number of words in the English language, it means the opposite of or uh, taking back from uh, what the original word was. There is a second word, a second uh, construction of words, which is a bit like that. And we use the word enriching. In this case, we put en in front of the word rich to enrich. This means to bring about, to make happen. So if we, we talked about the various people from the empire who came to Britain and enriched our society and culture. They brought with them their language, their food, some of their ideas, their music, and this enriched, it made richer uh, the country, um, this country. And again, you can add en to other words in a similar way, which means to bring about, to make happen. So, for example, to enact. To act is to do something. To enact is to bring something about, to make it happen. You can enclose something. So to close, but then to enclose is to make something, put something inside something else.
So that's the en of the beginning of a word, which often uh, works in the English language. Two more today. Civilization or civilizing. Um, this it's a controversial word in a way because what one person regards as civilization may not be what somebody else does, but it usually means to make a society more advanced in some way, to educate it. Uh, so we talk about Britain having civilized other parts of the world. However, there are some people that would say actually that was just Britain imposing its way on other parts of the world, which often had quite sophisticated cultures already and didn't need civilising in that sense. But that's usually what it means. And finally, John mentioned the word loot, which he discovered comes from a, a Hindi word. Uh, when we talk about loot, we usually mean goods or money that's been stolen. It means taking something illegally to loot it. And of course, it came from the idea that uh, Britain, when it went out into the world, actually took goods and gold from those countries. They, they, they in one sense, stole things from those lands. And that's where we get the word loot from. I hope that's been helpful. That's it for this week. And we hope you're listening again. Bye for now.